Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to The Ordinary Black Professionals. I'm Nicole. And I'm Stefan. And this week we're doing part two of what it's like to be a contractor. So we'll be talking less about the logistics and the practicalities of a contractor and talking more around the realities and day-to-day life of it. So Stefan will be bearing more and more of his soul as we go along into part two. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so let's just dive straight in. Did you have any expectations at all around what life was going to be like as a contractor and how it may differ from a perm perm role? Um, I didn't actually have any expectations because it was my first role right. being a contractor. So in some ways, I just went in and I went with the flow. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you was kind of easy, easy going then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was sort of allowing the experience to take me in the direction that it was going to take me, right? So kind of your first year of contracting, how was it different to a traditional permanent role? Did it Or did it differ at all? It was different in the sense of, you know, when you join a new company, you have to go through onboarding yeah. and you may do a, a few days of that. Um, there was none of that. They right. literally, as I joined on the first day, um, they gave me my laptop pretty soon within an hour and they said go off to um to the project that you're going to be working on and so I just had to go and travel to that project and meet the people that I was meant to meet right so um it was very direct more direct than I expected it to be I expected a bit more of an introduction a bit more of a understanding of how they do things or the company but yeah it was just straight in and I think all of my other contracts were similar as well it was you know straight in um, but once I was there, it was similar to a perm role in the fact that I how was, the work was yeah. and how the team operated. And how the team like operated, that. yeah. I was there every day. Um, I did the work. You know, just just going through normal project work. You know, just yeah. So in some sense, it was very similar to perm job. Once you're there. Yeah, but I still have to do things like invoicing and yeah, the other yeah. Stuff. But they were, but your day, I'm more, I'm more meant your life in the office yeah that was pretty much standard so no real difference there yeah okay did you feel 
like a contractor in your first contracting job? Yes. Okay, so you, you, you felt it was very much me and them and them being the permanent employees. Well, I, I, I didn't, it's not necessarily me and them. I don't think you feel that way as a contractor. I don't think most contractors feel that. Okay. But it's, um, you do feel like a contractor because you have to do some things differently. Um, there are some conversations that you're not involved in. Yeah. And there are also the way that they can treat you sometimes will be slightly different. Like um, they'll bring you into certain conversations or they'll completely exclude you. Right. And I guess it would make sense why they would bring you into some conversations and exclude you from others. Yeah. Because ultimately you're not... I'm not an employee. You're not an employee. Yeah, exactly. You don't have skin in the game. There's no reason for you to be part of certain conversations. Mm. Because as we mentioned in the first episode or the part one, is that you are there as a contractor to do a specific type of job complete certain activities and that's kind of it you're not there to you know win like win additional work or get involved in anything that's outside of your like the reasons you've been brought in and I think I had to learn that lesson when I was there okay because in the first one I came in I thought that just like in all my previous jobs I can take a little bit of responsibility I can do my job in the way that I used to do it Mm. and I tried to, you know, take control of some situations and and try and work with people to to deliver work mm. just directly, and they wanted me to work indirectly. Um, so they wanted me to sort of ask a guy, oh, is there any work I could do? And he would go ask another guy, and he would go and ask another guy. Right. And I didn't really work that way. I like to just talk straight to the source and be like, so let's work together. Yeah. And um. And that's not usually how I would work. So I had to learn that lesson. Like I've come in to do the job exactly how they want me to do it. And there was no other, I kind of learned on that role. There was no other options, alternatives. Op- yeah. yeah. Like for you me had, to, yeah. to work. You had to deliver the work in that one particular way. You can't kind of deviate and, and do it, do something else. Yeah. And I have a style that I like to, to work with, mm. you know, certain people and, yeah, I just had to, I had to do it their way, and and when I tried to do it my way, it just didn't, it didn't work out. So, would you say that was one of the challenges that you had? Like I know you said it's a lesson learned, but was that also yeah. a challenge for you? It was a challenge, like especially that communication thing. Like, um, you really do realize we talked about an uh, an episode earlier about company culture, and you really do realize how when you do contracting, you go and work for these different companies and how their cultures are so different. Mm. Like that communication thing, because this company was so hierarchical, people really held on to their power. So if I went mm. to try and have a direct conversation with somebody, people would be pissed. Mm. I, I cannot speak to that guy over there, even though he's just over there. I have to go through you. And I had to learn that lesson and I thought, mm. uh, it's not a bad thing about contracting. It's just how you choose your contracts Mm. because if I had known that then it would have been good for me not to probably go work there maybe somebody else would have but you know I had to learn that lesson but I think also as a contractor in theory there's no way you would have been I don't know what questions you would have been able to ask in the interview to know that that's how the company culture was because if you're just there for a six-month period three-month period whatever it is it just feels like your style of working and what you want to do and all of that stuff you have to really put aside 
and just keep reminding ourselves we're just there to do that particular job and to keep it moving. Yes. You know when you hear people say, oh, I only want to rock up to work, do my job and leave. I don't want to get into politics, don't care about promotion, I don't want to make friends. Yeah. It's almost that kind of mindset. So well, I'm just here similar. to do this and leave. It was similar because it's not like I was trying to get into politics or, or anything like that. But I think there were some questions, like we like mentioned in the previous episode, there were some questions maybe we could have, I could have asked. Mm. Like, um, how do you want me to to deliver the work um what kind of responsibility do you want me to take on before your first those kind of questions like they would have said oh we want you to to work independently and and to yeah. take control and, and and to really drive this this okay. piece of work if they said something like that then i could walk in with a bit of confidence saying oh they want me to to that's true to drive a piece of work and then i would have felt confident about that but i yeah. walked in to this one not really knowing and um and it, it 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 happened to be they didn't really need me there mm. uh, because this was uh, another consultancy company and you know sometimes in some cases people are trying to fill seats people are trying to fill budgets mm. so they need um, certain number of people and, and I feel like at that time I was filling a seat uh, they hadn't they had enough people and they had people doing certain jobs so okay that's interesting did you feel like you could take the experiences and the challenges that you had in the first project and take that and apply that onto your other contracting roles that you had? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I tried to just learn as I was going along. The first one, I just took that job. I didn't, I didn't know too much of what they wanted me to do. I knew, I knew what they were working on. I didn't know too much of how they wanted me to impact them. Mm. The second one that I took, I made sure that I knew what they wanted right, me to okay. do. So, yeah, I, I tried to learn and, and make sure I didn't make the same mistake twice. And then just going back to the challenges, just kind of taking the contracting experience as a whole, are there any other kind of challenges that you would say that you experienced? Oh, we know we discussed uh, not always like the company culture and maybe not having a clear idea of exactly the level of influence and impact or or how you were going to deliver the work and you know we discussed some others but as a whole the challenges yeah um hr i think i talked about hr before and how there is no hr for a mm. contractor and i really learned that lesson while i was there and it was it was a challenge so but if you had a if you was a perm employee would you have used hr though I mean, that's a good question. Would I have used HR? Um, I think I would have had, whether I used HR or not, I would have had more options to complain to certain people, maybe more options to talk directly to a manager or maybe uh, some sort of um, career coach or a mentor or someone else in the business. Um, But as a contractor, you feel that there's very little point in doing anything like that. I mean, they could ask you to leave tomorrow so there's very little point in doing yeah. that so yeah just it was not a lesson learned but it was a reminder that at least for me if you're black and you're in the industry we would, we already know that the IT industry is not very diverse um and 
that can be an issue if you are black and in contracting. Okay, so yeah. do you want to expand a bit more on that? What specifically are you talking about? Yeah, I, I think I had to get a reminder that no matter where you go, racism can follow you anywhere. And when I was in certain positions, in certain roles, I I definitely got that feeling that I was unwanted here. Um, there were situations where um, people would uh, leave me without a, a job to do, or they would not give me roles, or they would not give me information that they would give to other people. This in, is in the roles. this is in your contracting experience. In, yeah, yeah. In, in in the experience that I had contracting, um, and I was excluded from um, situations not because I'm a contractor, but because um, I believe that probably they didn't want me there, yeah, for whatever reason. So, uh, and and this is not necessarily from the people that hired me directly, but this is from the people that are in the environment, the people that you're working with day to day, right? So, um, you know, there are situations, especially when early on, I was hired alongside other people, sometimes perm people. Uh, some, some were contractors, some were perm. And the people that I was hired with were given certain information. They were told about events that would benefit them. They were told about um, company trips that people were taking at certain times or conferences. And there was a particular time where uh, the majority of the company or the majority of the project went to a conference and nobody had informed me. So I walked into the office and it was very empty. Right. right? And I didn't realize that my entire team had gone to a conference and they hadn't told me. And I realized, well, hadn't they told me? Yeah. And I wasn't quick to say, is this is this some sort of exclusion going on here? But it was a situation that occurred again and again and again. And I did say, I didn't realize that you were going to a conference. Did anybody think to tell me? And didn't really get much of a response. So there were situations like that where you just add up the dots and you just say, right, something is going on wrong here. Mm. I'm not being included. Um, so we talk about inclusion all the time and that was a situation where you're not invited to the party, mm. right? And I clearly wasn't. So, and as a contractor, sometimes people, you know, if they freeze you out, you're going to leave. Mm. It's the fastest way to get rid of someone, freeze them out and they'll start looking for new jobs or whatever. So I think that situation was occurring, right? And that was before I had even got my feet under the table. You yeah. know? That was happening really quickly. And it was people, it was other black males in the organization who are also being freezed out as well. Yeah. And that is how you came to realize that it wasn't just a me thing. It was, you know, there's some commonality here. Yeah. We're all black, we're all males. This is racism. Yeah. And it was, you know, yeah, it just, it, it went on for, 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 for months. It months. wasn't an isolated event, as you said. It was constant exclusion. It was people kind of huddling around speaking in different languages like really really trying to make sure that it was clear that you didn't belong and almost like we didn't want you here yeah yeah exactly so i think that was an eye-opener and that was the moment when I, I always remember there's no hr for me here there's no support no though that i know you 
I just really wonder whether if there was a HR, whether you would have gone to HR. I know what you mean about going no, no, to your I, career counsellor. I agree. I, I agree with you. On this, that type of situation is very difficult to go to HR because we, we know that HR, a lot of the time, is not actually there to support you, in, especially when they, they say they are, but they're not necessarily going to support you in that type of situation or you wouldn't trust them to. And um, would I have trusted a HR team to support me in that situation? I think it's unlikely because you know once you go around making allegations, but you wouldn't have made without would... without hardcore evidence. You can't have evidence for this type of thing. Yeah, I don't know whether it would have been a HR, whether you would have gone to HR. But I guess it's what you said earlier. If there was like a manager or something like that, maybe you would have gone to them. Or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess overall. In your contracting experience, what did you learn? I learned that it was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. It was harder work. Um, you know, the things that replace performance reviews, politics, when you're a perm employee, are things like accounting. Because I had to learn all new accounting skills. I didn't understand how it all worked. I, right. had, to, I had to learn it. Um, keeping my skills fresh, worrying about the end of my contract and when that's going to come and will I get a renewal and what roles will be available after that. Right, okay. And um, the feeling of being watched. Uh, so it was almost like you're replacing one set of worries Yeah. <laughs> with some others. Yeah, and uh, I'm not going to say all contractors feel this. They definitely don't. But I felt this. I felt the feeling of being watched. Um, even after because... your second role, sorry, I mean even after your first role, sorry. Um, when you you know when you had more um, experience in the consulting game, did you still feel like you were constantly being? You said watched, but I think it's probably more that you felt like you was being judged. Yeah. On your performance. Yeah. Did you still feel like that after your first role? Um, I think. You feel it less, and I think it depends on how you performed or or the reactions that you got from people. Mm. In a role that I had after that, I took on a more responsible position in on the project. Because of that, I don't feel like I felt that I was being watched in that role. Right, okay. But yeah, I mean, what what is not really thought about as well is keeping your skills fresh. My first contract i was working with infrastructure that was in their own chosen data center mm. and i just felt as time was going by that my skills in the cloud were just becoming more and more stale right and then i felt like mm, i want to do some roles in the cloud but because i'm spending all my time here my skills are drying up and so what am i going to do to keep my skills fresh am i going to have to work after work to do my own courses or my own practice at home to keep my cloud skills fresh. To do that, just so you can get another contract, is a lot of work. It's a lot more work than just having a perm role. Is it though? Because you could be, you could have a perm role, but still need to keep your knowledge fresh to be able to get the next consulting gig or to progress up in the company. Yes. Um, but and you a still lot have of the time to do you... that on the side. It's not like you're doing that. You're carving out time in your day job. 
to do it. Well, I feel like a lot of time, if you're going to do that as a permanent employee, you can do it on company time. And they will support you to do that, especially if it's, you're keeping your skills fresh to get the next role in the in your job or to help you with what you're doing in, in the job or whatever. Right. Then they will support you to spend some time. They'll send you on a training course. They will give you resources, materials, people to talk to, to help you keep those skills fresh or to gain more skills or to mm. get a qualification. Like in in permanent roles, we see a lot of people who um, end up with certifications in certain areas. But in contracting, you don't have that time. That time that you spend at work is dedicated to doing the work they asked you to do. Right. Okay. And then you spend your whole day at work, let's say nine to six, you need to spend any time to do to learn your own skills or whatever you want to do you need to spend at home doing that right okay. and and so that could be hours and hours so if you're going to keep your skills up to up to date or to learn a new skill then you're going to have to do that like it's going to take a lot of time at home to do that and that just racks up the effort and i didn't realize that i didn't feel that at the time when i was first going to contracting i felt like yeah, I'm, I feel confident. But as time went on, I felt less and less confident that I could keep my skills update, up to date. Okay. And some th- contractors don't have that problem, I think, because sometimes they, they make sure they take on roles that are at the cutting cutting edge mm-hmm. of technology, especially if you're in IT, right? If you're in other areas, like your BA or something like that, then maybe you don't feel such a burden in that type of way. But um, in technology, if you do an IT, you either have to take roles that are cutting edge that keep your skills up to date, or you're going to have to work on it afterwards. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. I think that's something that we'll definitely kind of go back and, and revisit later on in this interview uh, around kind of keeping your, your, your skill set up to date. Mm. So obviously we know that you now have a permanent job. So what made you decide to go back and, yeah, go back to that perm life? At the time, I didn't necessarily make a decision that I wanted to leave contracting going to perm. But at the time, there were some government regulations that were changing that were making it more difficult to do contracting. That may change in the future, but for now, it was just making things a bit more difficult. So for job security, I decided to start looking at perm jobs again that just helped with financial security because perm jobs you know you get paid not depending on how many days you work but just your contract um it also get getting a perm role helps with my confidence because like i mentioned keeping my skills up to date and not being able to do that on a role that was not cutting edge was um reducing my confidence of getting new roles and once i leave this role let's say i'm in this role for a year how long is it going to take me to get the next one? And am I confident that I can get the next yeah. one? Because there's, there is a lot of competition on the market. Like I mentioned in a previous episode, the feeling of being part of something, being part of something that is beyond a couple of months, building something in a company, having comrades in a way, you know, some some sort of team dynamic you do have as a contractor, but it's not quite the same. Mm. Yeah. So th- those are the things that made me go back to perm. And then obviously the right opportunity came up. 
um, if the right opportunity comes up, then it makes it easier. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So was it difficult to find a job? Like when you were trying to look for a perm role, because I'm just thinking you mentioned earlier that it's important to kind of keep your skills up to date in the job market mm. and the difficulties of doing that alongside a contracting job. So now when you're going to look for a perm job, did you feel like you had to work to bring your skills up to date, to, to make your skills up to date? Or was that not a factor at all with getting your job? I think that's actually a really good question. Um, Thank you. I do try. <laughs> <laughs> because when you look for a contracting job, as I say, your skills need to be up to date. If they're asking for a particular skill, they're going to test you on that skill right. a lot of the time in the interview. So you can feel nervous that if I'm going for an interview, I better know this thing inside out and I better know it like off the top of my head, like I can recite the ABCs. Um, however, when you look for a perm job, they are much more relaxed about your skills. They're more worried about your experience um, because they know yeah, we're not hiring you for two months or for six months. Yeah. We're hiring you for potentially years and years and years. Yeah. So uh, if you don't have the skills today, we can get you the skills. I just want to know that you've got the capacity to do these things or to learn these things, um, that you've got the right type of mentality, the right thinking. So um, skills-wise, getting a perm job was easier, right. but getting a perm job in other ways is harder because you've got to go through five, six stages, yes, different yes, interviews. Yes, companies are slow to respond back slow to, to you. Slow to respond, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's lots of, you know, looking for a job... It is always challenging, isn't it? Yeah. It's never, it's never straightforward. Yeah, and and what I'm talking about again, it is skewed towards IT consulting and having certain IT mm. skills. But there are other types of contracting, other people doing procurement, BA, um, all sorts of stuff, HR contractors. Yeah, and so I really don't know the type of skills that they would have to maintain and keep up to date. But I'm sure there's things that they will have to do as well and is there anything else that you want to bring up or discuss in the contracting space I've got one more question but it'd be good to see if there's anything that I may have missed yeah I think one thing that's important to mention that I learned is the contracting market is really ruled and controlled by recruiters right um quite different to the permanent job market in permanent jobs you can go to a company's website and apply for a job you can apply directly, you can be referred by someone who really works there. Um, the jobs at these companies are posted on websites, Indeed, and all those kind of places, right? But for contracting, it just doesn't work like that. There are recruitment websites that are just solely for contracting mm. or specialize in it. And there are recruiters that do perm jobs and contracting jobs. But contracting jobs at the um, end customer or company are not advertised by that company right so you have to go through a recruiter and so now if you don't have any good relationships with with recruiters and you're coming in brand new then you're gonna have to start building that and it's quite a difficult thing um because when you deal with recruiters you kind of get the same sort of thing you get a salesy 
approach. They try and sell you the role. They don't really describe the role very well. Right. Because they don't really understand how it works or what's going on. Yeah, because they're not in that industry. Yeah, they use buzzwords um, to try and get you interested. And then they put you in front of a customer and you either sink or swim, right? Because it goes like that, sometimes it, it can be quite difficult to be put in front of the right role for you. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's something to mention, important thing to mention. And I think, that is, I agree with you, I think that's an important thing to mention. But I remember you also saying last week yeah. that... It's also your network as well that can help you to get yeah. roles. So it's highly recommended that you get your roles through your network. Um, if you've got contacts that will get you roles or can help push you forward for a role, mm. then definitely do that. It, you will get better roles that way. Um, but for me, for my understanding anyway, the only... The best ways to get roles are either through a contractor or through your network. Right. And through your network is will definitely get you a better position. Through the contract, through the recruiter, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have some issues. Um, sometimes if you interview for a job and you don't get the job, uh, for whatever reason, the recruiter will not put you forward for another job. And recruiters do that all the time, even for perm jobs. I'm not sure if many, many, many people have this experience. Maybe you have an experience like this or anything where a recruiter puts you forward for a perm job, you don't get the job or the interview's not perfect or whatever. And That's you, it, you don't hear from the recruiter yeah, again. That recruiter, you'll never hear from them again. Yeah, and I, I had I've had experience. that happen to me as well for obviously for perm jobs. Yeah. If there's any recruiters out there listening, please, please DM us email us at ordinaryblackprofessionals at gmail.com or ordinaryblackprofessionals on Instagram and let us know why that's the case. Yeah. I do not know why recruiters do that, but it's happened to me time and time again. Yeah, and, and I had the feeling of basically being blacklisted mm. by recruiters. Um, so they would sometimes put me in front of a job that is just I wonder, not what I was looking for at all. I, and then I would not hear back from them because it just wasn't what I was looking for. Yeah. I wonder if that's because of the feedback they've given, sorry, the feedback that the company has given back to the recruiter. So if the feedback has been, oh, Stefan's interviewed really poorly, he doesn't like he's got the expertise, he is not someone we would ever hire. Yeah. Then they're like, oh, I'm not going to spend, you know, from the recruiter's point of view, like, well, I'm not going to spend any time with him because the feedback has been so poor. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, and I understand, you know, they work on a commission um, base most of the time, or at least that I know of. So, you know, for commission purposes, they just want to put the guy in front that's just going to guarantee the job, really, yeah. and get them their commission. So that might be the case, but there's a lot of people out there who are also suitable for roles that maybe you could position. Maybe you, you could position them for one role, they won't get it, but you can position them again for another one. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I've heard also some recruiters, uh, I spoke to some who had left their previous recruitment company and set up their own. Mm. And when I spoke to them, they said the reason they set up their own is because then they're, they're not really empowered to 
position people for certain roles because they want to guarantee the commission. Whereas yeah. if they own the company and they are recruiting, then they can be a bit more flexible, get to know people a bit more and do things their own way. I did have a recruiter that, that said that to me, but I'd like to hear from a few more. So yeah, and I think another thing as well is that I did have some good roles. I uh, I had a lot of fun on some roles. Um, a lot of responsibility. My, my responsibilities improved and I, I had a lot of things to do. I enjoyed my time. Um, I made the money on those roles. Uh, I wanted to stay longer and longer and longer, but you know your contract's at the end it's going to come soon. So, um, yeah, there were some really good roles. I had a lot of fun. So there was very good times as well as contractor. So I did say that I had one more question left. Yeah. But actually, as you were speaking, I thought of another question. Okay. So <laughs> the penultimate question, are you able to negotiate your day rate? And if so, did you ever do that? So when you go for a contracting role, a lot of the time, 99% of the time, they advertise the day rate. Okay. So, you know, yeah. and, and that's very different to perm jobs yeah. because, you know, they always ask you, oh, what are you looking for? And then they put you on the spot and then you're like, oh, I'm looking for 50, but they're only going to give you 35 to 40. So, you know, that it's not for you. Yeah. It's, it's because it works very differently. Like your day rate, again, it's a, it's a business to business transaction. Yeah. So the person who pays the day rate and decides what it is, is actually the end project, not necessarily the company, but the project. Yeah. It comes out of a project budget most of the time. So they've budgeted how much they're going to pay a contractor. Right. right. Let's say 500 pounds. They're not moving from the budget unless some miraculous reason. But right, most of okay, time, so that's why they're advertising it. At, yeah. Okay, because okay, that makes sense. So um, they put that in their budget. They think they're going to pay you that, so they advertise it. And so when a recruiter calls you up for a position, you can, and they will tell you straight away on the first call what the job, what the day rate is, mm. and uh, you can reject it right there and then if, if it's not what you want. Or we can ask for more, but most of the time the recruiters will say, we can't get you more, or they could get you more, but it will only be a little bit more because... Extra £25 or something? Um, Maybe 50 to £100, pounds, uh, depending on what it so is. I thought like that's quite a significant day uh, increase. £100 a lot yeah. more, yeah. That goes from 500 to 600 it, it, it can, but it depends because... Let's say I talked about this budget, right? And let's say it was £500. Let me increase that to £700, right? So because they've come through a recruiter, the recruiter wants his cut as well. Mm. So the end company will pay £700 for you. The recruiter will pay you £500 and they'll advertise to you £500. And the recruiter will take £200 mm. on, in their pocket. So every, every um, day you get paid the recruiter picks up some money. Yeah. So that's how that transaction works. So if they really want to se secure that job, let's say that job's been hanging around for two months, and they've not been able to fill it, right? Then they might pay you a little bit more to get you to fill it so they can not have this job hanging around because they don't want to deal with it. Right, okay. Right? And they that will take sense. less profit. Okay. So they're not actually going back and negotiating it with the project. Yeah. They're just lowering... The recruiters lowering their margins. Yeah, they can also negotiate with a project. But then more but, than likely, there's yeah, not going to increase because they've already factored in what yeah. they can afford for all. Yeah. Like so they've already got their budget. Yeah, it's a... 
to and fro in to yeah, get so it right. Yeah, to and fro in, yeah. Okay. That's interesting, though, um, around, because I know a lot of the time when we talk, I think we've mentioned it before on, on episodes that you should negotiate your salary, negotiate, negotiate pay rises and promotions and all that other stuff. But actually in the contracting world, you don't negotiate. <laughs> There's not like a negotiation isn't so much of a thing because... No, I still think it's quite a thing. Um, you can get, you'll get something out of it. You can get something out of it. I did negotiate on my second role. Right, right? okay. But I got 15 pounds more out of it <laughs> okay so it was a little something and when you put that on the day rate it does add up yeah, yeah 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 it does add up it does add up so um yeah you can negotiate a little bit but someone is gonna have to take a hit okay okay and now my final question <laughs> is how do you go about looking for a good accountant yeah what, what recommendations do you have that kind of makes up a good accountant? I think the first thing is you need to ask other people and take some recommendations. There okay. are loads of accountants out there. Mm. Um, and not all of them are five-star rated. Definitely not. So take some recommendations from other people that you trust or other contractors about who they use. Um, that's first number one. And I did that. I took a recommendation from a contractor and I used his accountant. Mm. Now, the second thing is you want to go for accountants who have experience of doing accounting for contractors. Mm. What I learned is that accounting is massively different depending on industry. Okay. So if I'm running a business, let's say I'm selling um, electrical items, the accounting for that is completely different to accounting for contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many other things and assets and things like that to take into account. Um, there are so many rules out there for accounting from HMRC that accountants who specialize in a particular area mm. will know the rules for that particular area, but they will forget the rules for other areas. So you want to go for accountants that remember and know the rules for contractors. Yeah, and so once you've done that, talk to them. You need to have a conversation with the contractor that you're going to choose, with the accountant that you're going to choose. Talk to them. Make sure that you have a good sense of that, one, they're listening to you, and two, that they're asking, answering your questions politely. If you have the feeling that they're trying to rush you, you're new to the game, and they're trying to say, yeah, 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 I know, I know it all. Don't worry. I've got it. That's not the accountant for you. Okay. You, if you're new to the game, right, and you want someone who's going to explain things to you and help you through the process, get an accountant that will take the time to actually talk to you in a nice way. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think that's very, very important because ultimately, as we said in our last episode, your accountant is responsible for getting that job, but ultimately, you as an individual are accountable. Yes. You're the one who's going to go to prison or experience fines if your accountant hasn't done their job properly. So you need yeah. to understand, you know, take the time and understand exactly what your accountant is saying to you and what they're doing so you don't get in trouble with HMRC. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What I do not recommend anyone to do is use online accountants. Oh, okay. Yeah, use someone you can talk to on the phone because accountancy is just too complicated for I... you to use an online 
um, free accountancy software. Or, I didn't even know there was that. Yeah, or you can do ones that you pay for it, but it does it all for you automatically. It's just not going to get you good enough tax um, rebates or whatever it may be. You need to talk to somebody with the qualifications, the expertise, with the understanding. Mm. Yeah, you need to talk to somebody for sure. And I've heard many people say this as well. Okay. It's, it's very important to don't use the online ones. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess I think we'll r- wrap it up there. And if anybody has any questions or anything that you want us to address, then just let us know. Find us on Instagram or Twitter uh, about contracting or email us. At the ordinary black professionals at yeah. gmail.com. And there'll be a message <laughs> at the end of this podcast <laughs> giving you all the details on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and next week we have Danapo, the founder of Tido, coming on and talking about her company. So stay tuned to that. It's a really interesting podcast. We're interviewing her about her um, fashion company, talking about how she is solving the problem for fuller, busted women out there and providing clothing that's fit for purpose. Mm. So stay tuned for that next week we're really really excited for the episode to drop because you'll listen and hear how much of an entrepreneur Delapo is and just that how she's navigated setting up her own business and she just makes it really real and raw for everyone yeah so yeah a plug for our next week's episode mm-hmm. <laughs> until then until then we will speak to you all next week Bye, guys. Bye. If you have any questions or dilemmas, email us on ordinaryblackprofessionals at gmail.com or we can be found on Instagram and Twitter at ordinaryblackprofessionals. Also, don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and leave a rating and comment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.